0: Welcome and a a happy Sunday, and I hope you've recovered well uh, from Christmas as well. More so than anything, I hope you've recovered well from Christy and the New Years and all the meat, sweets, and goods that come through it too. I'm currently in like phase five of digestion right now, which just allows me to stand up Um, properly and straight without kind of rolling around the place so uh, I hope Chrissy break uh, was great for you and for those that were able to join in on our Griffin Christmas block party as well uh, that are here uh, a big day thanks so much for being part of an awesome uh, Chrissy Sunday on that day Uh, so I hope you scored big over the Christmas break uh, as well Um, I had an interesting Chrissy gift I got this year uh, from my mum actually uh, and I got four cans of Lynx deodorant um, and I was at the time a little bit taken back because I'm like, okay, this is a bit direct. Like My mother obviously thinks I'm a little bit smelly, but uh, it turns out mum just didn't want me using her deodorant anymore. Apparently sharing your deodorant with your mum uh, is not uh, a mother-son and relationship. Sharing women's antiperspirant in general uh, as a 22-year-old male apparently with your mum is not something that's socially acceptable within my household. So that was one of the Chrissy Gifts I got this year. I hope you scored big on the Chrissy gift uh, front uh, but clearly, I have some room to improve heading into uh, 2020 in terms of just smell. But uh, with that, in terms of improving uh, ahead of 2020, I don't know if you do it, or if you've started doing it, or if you have someone with your family or your partner is doing it this year. But with each new year that comes, so often comes New Year's resolutions. And I don't know if you've already kind of gone through and done your goal setting for the year or come up with some resolutions for yourself uh, but for me, back in 2015, I actually had a time in the middle of the year where I decided I was a bit late on the New Year's front to make some resolutions to myself. So I sat down and just did this big time of planning uh, and goal planning for the remainder of the year that was ahead. So I want to share with you some of the resolutions I had at the time, uh, not because there are many that I've actually followed through with, all that have happened, but also I don't really think they're resolutions uh, at all, uh, but I thought they, would interest, uh, they were interesting and, and maybe cover some of the New Year's resolutions that you may have uh, this year too. One of my resolutions back in 2015 was pretty straightforward. I wanted to meet a hero of mine. I wanted to meet David Beckham. Uh, that was a personal Resolution for me. At the same time, uh, my second resolution was to hold and catch a wild snake. I don't know why, but I wanted to hold and catch a wild snake. I also wanted to catch a shark. That was resolution number three. I went through a real Steve Irwin stage for some reason in this year, I'm not too sure why. Um, Resolution number four, I wanted to jump 5.65 meters. In long jump, and you might be thinking, "Wow, Riley, you're a long jumper, like unreal. That's amazing." No, uh, for some reason, I just wanted to jump 5.65 meters in long jump. I wanted to make a baked Alaska. I don't really know what a baked Alaska is. Uh, I don't know if I did at the time either, but for some reason, I wanted to bake one. Uh, I also had fixed the toilet flush. I don't know if you have any New Year's resolutions that kind of centre around any small handy jobs that you need to get done in the house. Uh, New Year's resolution number seven, or resolution number seven, was to eat five veg and two fruits daily, and consume 14 litres of water a week. Uh, I don't know how I was measuring 14 litres of water at the week, but clearly wanted to just make sure my lifestyle was intact. Uh, Resolution number eight, make banana bread once a month, Uh, because for some reason, making banana bread once a month would improve my life. Number nine, I found interesting. I only looked back on these in the last week as I headed into this year. Number nine was to get onto grandma's fridge, Uh, And for some reason, my face wasn't on my grandma's fridge. I have many cousins. My face wasn't on there. My resolution, get on grandma's fridge. And resolution number 10 for 2015, in my phone, I noted down was to message back Karen. And I actually, looking back on this, I don't even know who Karen is. Um, If Karen's listening on our SoundCloud, Karen, I'm sorry I didn't get back to you. Uh, But message back Karen, those are my resolutions uh, across 2015. And I don't know if you've ever had the time to look back on your resolutions and seeing the ones that you followed through with or, or maybe uh, some of the ones that you're just thinking, "Oh, why did I kind of set that as a goal for myself? Generally, our resolutions when New Year's resolutions kind of center around these areas of our life that we want to improve in, whether that's our health, water intake, hydration, uh, but our fitness or, or uh, doing projects that we've never got around to doing, uh, getting around to those little things in the house that we have to tinker with, that we have to get fixed or these resolutions where we really want to see life change within ourself. Uh I'm pretty easy this year. I've decided I'm just going to stick to one resolution. Uh, in 2019, I had a really rough year with white shirts. I lost five white shirts uh, to pasta sauces, fish and chip stains, oil stains, uh, and one to that dreaded situation where the white shirt's gone into the wash with colors. Anyway, I lost five white shirts in the space of three months. This year is the year of the white shirt for me. I'm just trying to keep this one clean. That's my one resolution for the year, keeping it simple. But I know with every new year that comes past, There's this urgency or this lean towards this idea of new year, new me. But resolutions of the past often are so focused, and I find mine in particular was so focused, and I don't know if you find it too, is so focused on this question of what do I need to do? What do I need to do this year? What do I need to do this year to make this year successful, to make it great or to make me just feel better, to make me better? Have you planned your new years out yet? where you have told yourself, this is the year that I'll run more. This is the year I sign up for gym. This is the year I'll do that hobby that I said I'd always do. This is the year that I'll finish that project that I always wanted to start. This is the year of me getting better. This is the year of being better. This is the year I'll save better, give better, give more generously. This is the year I'll feel better. This is the year I won't let my indoor plants die. They will flourish this year. This is the year that everything will just be better. And I know for some of us, if you're anything like me, maybe your New Year's resolution success rate isn't too high, that sometimes we just miss the mark. And that sometimes our New Year's resolutions turn from something that we are absolutely solely concentrated on to something that just slowly gets pushed more and more to the back of our head as we venture more into the new year. Have you ever told yourself that this is going to be the year, this is going to be the year where where I'll be a better friend, a better partner, a better wife or father, a better grandparent, a better mother or father, a better son or daughter, a better you. This is the year that I'll become the person I've always wanted to be. This is the year that I've become the person I desire to be. And if you ever have had one of these moments, or maybe this is you this year, this idea of just being better, being the person you intended to be, or maybe you've thought about it in the past. Looking back just on 2019, if we were to look at just the snippet of those 12 months, how do you feel you went? How did you go with putting any of your goals or resolutions in place to actually become the person that you wanted to be? Was the person at work the same person that aligned up to the person at home? And there's very few people who would say that there's no room for improvement in their lives. In fact, and in fact, sorry, every year, millions of people around the world set New Year's resolutions as, as a testament to the fact that there's room for improvement in our life. And every time we make a goal for ourselves or have a wish, create a resolution... What we're saying is that there's a version of ourselves that we would like to move towards. And this is what we're really excited to unpack in this new series that we're launching into this year. Uh, And next week, we're actually going to have another fellow called Chris. My name's Riley, by the way. I haven't introduced myself. I'm just one of the fellows that rocks up here every Sunday. Um, But Chris, next week, is going to jump into the second part of this series with us. It's going to go over the next three Sundays. And it's all centered around this idea of becoming the me that I want to be in 2020. So in this series, we're going to look and talk about some practical ways you can begin to uh, take steps towards the me that you want to be this year. And maybe, maybe you would say you're starting and have ended the year feeling like you have it all together. Or maybe you would say that this year, it's not even that you want to be better. You just want to feel like you have things together. You don't want to feel rushed feel high. You don't want to feel anxious. Well, these next three Sundays are for everyone and anyone who've ever felt these things before. And in this series, we're looking at how you can go about becoming the intended version of yourself rather than the pretend version. And let's be honest, let's be honest, at some stage in our life, whether it was in primary school, high school, or where you're at right now in your life, we're all tempted to pretend to be someone better than we are. We're all tempted to make our lives look a little bit better than they are. We're all tempted to make our jobs sound a little bit better than they are. That family life and family circumstances are going a little bit better than they actually are. And if we're not doing that, we're pretending that life is far greater and far worse than what it is, so we can almost get sympathy for other people. And if we aren't doing that, then we're pretending that what's actually going on within us is something that we don't need to share with other people. We avoid dealing with hurt. We avoid dealing with pain and we keep it to ourselves and we pretend. But When we pretend, we find ourselves asking this question, of why don't I feel like myself? Why can't I be real? Why is everything going so fast? What am I doing? And the pretend version of ourselves can feel trapped within walls that aren't necessarily built by other people, but walls that we actually build around ourselves so people can't see the real us. The problem with pretending is that it doesn't help us become who we were created to be. It doesn't get you to the place you want to be or become the person that you desire to be, the intended version of yourself. So to help us step into 2020 as the you that you were created to be, to give you a launch pad to kick off into this year with, I want to address with you just this tension this morning, this tension that comes in this question of what is the cost of pretending? What is the cost of Being our pretend self, what's the cost of neglecting to ask who am I becoming? And to help us with addressing this tension this morning, I want to bring you into this story the story of a fella who was probably around maybe around 1,350 years before this Jesus guy entered into the world. Okay, this guy's name is Joseph, all right, and Joseph. Maybe you've heard a little bit of Joseph's story before, or maybe you've even heard about the musical Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. And if you know it, feel free to sing along at any stage throughout this message. But Joseph, to give you context of where we're picking up in his story, was living in the land of Canaan. And he was a 17-year-old, from where we're picking this story up from, he was a 17-year-old who tended to his father's sheep. And you need to know a little bit about Joseph's father as well, to know a little bit more about Joseph. You see, Joseph's father, Jacob, had multiple wives. And before you go like, well, that would be a really interesting season of Bachelor, like what's going on there? Joseph's father, Jacob, had multiple wives. And that was actually very common for that time in history. Historically, that was common practice. For us today, absurd and bizarre. At the time, pretty standard okay so Jacob had many multiple wives which actually meant that Joseph had many brothers he had many half brothers and from what scholars and theologians and historians know he had at least 10 brothers but we think that he had around 11 he had 11 brothers all up uh, and I don't know about you but I actually well I actually didn't grow up with brothers at all so in trying to actually relate to Joseph as I was reading a little bit more about his story I had no idea where the connection was because I drew, I grew up with a completely different species called sisters um, I grew up with an old one and a younger one, which meant they actually work in packs. They have a pack mentality. Uh, so I don't have too much of a connection with Joseph here, but Joseph, 11 brothers, half brothers. Things are, are probably pretty crazy for him, but Joseph was a very obedient and very faithful son to his father, Jacob. In fact, there was actually a serious tension between 17-year-old Joseph and his brothers because his father, Jacob, Jacob's, uh, one of his wives, Rachel, was actually the mother of Joseph, and Jacob actually had a favorite wife who was Rachel. So he actually really just loved Joseph, but also just loved Joseph for who he is. He was faithful and obedient. and This is what we hear in his story that we read about in the first book of the Bible called Genesis. And as we learn a little bit more about Joseph and Jacob and their relationship, we see that Jacob really did just admire his son because of his faithfulness and because of his obedience. So what Jacob does one day is actually give to Joseph this amazing robe. And robes at this time in history were very much the fashion. Uh, They were kind of this multi-purpose fashion piece that people would use to keep themselves warm. It would be used as a bit of a security blanket. But at the same time, uh, when these beautiful robes were given to people, when they were given to people, what Jacob was doing by giving this beautiful robe to Joseph, which wouldn't have been any uh, short-sleeved, you know, to-the-knees robe. This was a colorful, really kind of majestical robe. It would have been long-sleeved. It would have been down to his ankle. When it was given to Joseph by Jacob, what Jacob was saying is not only that I admire you and maybe a little bit of favoritism as well, but what he was giving to Joseph was also a big cut of his inheritance as well. And the inheritance that Joseph would receive would be wealth and land. And this would have been just countercultural to the times because normally within families of this time, the eldest brother would have received the largest cut of wealth. So for Joseph to be receiving this robe from his father was really his father putting Joseph on a pedestal in some way. And you could only imagine what his other brothers thought when they saw what was going on this would have been something that would have created a little bit of tension. This is like all the other brothers being told that they can have the Corolla hatchback, the family car, but Joseph, here's the keys to the Mercedes for you. This is like Joseph going to the fridge, and the only thing on the fridge, the magnets, the photo frames, everything like that, every photo in the photo frame, is just a photo of Joseph. Like, this is what this family experience would have been looking like. And Jacob, in his old age as well, he would have been looking for a leader, a leader to take over and take over his role within the family and if you know the story of joseph you would know about this amazing gift that he received but you would also know the tension that it created within the other brothers and the other brothers they got frustrated they were envious they were jealous jealous to the point where they actually wanted to come up with a plot that would remove joseph from the family and the first step that they actually took in their plot was coming together and saying let's kill him let's let's take him out here like, Joseph is getting far too much attention. This is just ridiculous. And what created even uh, more attention was the fact that Joseph was actually given, and like I said, if you've heard about Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, the musical 4, you know that Joseph was given this amazing gift by God where he would have these dreams of revelation. And one of the dreams that he actually had and shared with these brothers was a dream, or two dreams, where uh, his brothers bowed down towards him as this great leader. And this was a dream that Joseph would boast about to his brothers. And his brothers just got to this point where they were just like, this is ridiculous. Like, how can, they, how can Father not see this? Like, we have to take him out. We have to kill him. And one of the eldest brothers, or the eldest brother, Reuben, kind of interjects. He jumps in and he says, no, no, guys, we can't. We can't do that. We've got to come up with another plot we have to come up with another way of, of moving him away from the family so what they decide to do is actually take their brother they take him away they take his robe off him they tear it and they rip it in shreds and they sell joseph to a traveling group of people known as the ishmaelites or known as ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and just like that they've sold their brother with this beautiful robe that was given to him by their father that represented the inheritance that he was meant to have the brothers took it they ripped it up they dipped it in gloat blood. goat's and then gave it back to their father for their father to come up with the idea that surely his favorite youngest son had died from being eaten by a wild animal. And Jacob was distraught. This is his favorite son. And I realize now if we put a full stop in that story, then there's nothing really to take away from today. But what we need to know is that there's another chapter to Joseph's story. And as we follow with Joseph and this this traveling band of Ishmaelites that he's with, the Ishmaelites end up selling Joseph To this guy called Potiphar, and Potiphar is the captain of the Pharaoh of Egypt. He's got a pretty big, kind of high official title on himself. And Joseph gets sold to Potiphar. And to run through this story as quickly as I can with you, Joseph becomes Potiphar's personal servant and subsequently his household superintendent. And remember, Joseph is obedient. Joseph is faithful. It's who he is. So this makes him an idol servant to Potiphar. So despite being sold out, Joseph ends up in a pretty good spot. But the thing is that Joseph ends up in this circumstance where Potiphar's wife actually really fancies him. And as Potiphar's wife makes a move on Joseph, Joseph, being who he is, faithful and obedient, knows to run away. And so he does, but then Potiphar's wife makes this false accusation about him, and Joseph ends up in prison. He goes from this point of finally getting to a point where maybe his life is going somewhere to going back down to the deep dark of the shadows of just his life of not knowing what's next he ends up in prison but in his time being rock bottom in prison joseph is faithful he's obedient he actually becomes someone who's really likable to the other prisoners but also to the guards and joseph gets this promotion somehow in prison as being the head of the prisoners and he's so likable that even in prison he's known as this almost great bloke and whilst he's in prison he has this conversation with two prisoners. Two prisoners who share their dreams with him. And remember, Joseph has this amazing gift, this revela- uh, these revelation dreams that he has. Uh, at the same time, he actually has this ability to also just translate dreams. And he sits with these two prisoners and they, they tell them about his, uh, about the dreams that they've had and, and Joseph kind of translates them. And and one of the dreams that one of the prisoners has, Joseph says to him that you're going to get out of here one day, that you're going to be free. For the other guy, he gets told that he's going to get his head cut off. But for the first guy... For the first guy, he's told he's going to get out of here one day, that he's going to be free, and surely enough, this prisoner does. And after two years of being out of prison, or in the time that he steps out of prison, this prisoner actually becomes the cupbearer to the Pharaoh of Egypt himself. I know there's a bit to track with here, but this prisoner becomes the cupbearer to the Pharaoh himself. And this is a great role. And as, uh, as the cupbearer to the Pharaoh, the cupbearer hears a lot of the Pharaoh's conversations with his advisors. And the Pharaoh has this, this two year drought. Uh, after this prisoner gets out and becomes the cupbearer where he just isn't getting the advice that he wants he isn't getting the wisdom that he wants from his advisors so one day the cupbearer says hey hey i actually actually know a guy he's actually in one of your prisons right now he's really wise he can help you translate your dreams as well his name is joseph so pharaoh says hey bring this guy out of prison bring him to me i've got some things i want to share with him so so he does. And and the Pharaoh sits with Joseph and they just talk and have this conversation. And Pharaoh shares with him his dreams and and Joseph kind of translates them for him. And what he says to Pharaoh is something that's actually really important for him to take seriously as well. Because what he says to Pharaoh is he says, with with the dreams that you've told me, what I'm I'm seeing, what I'm hearing is that for seven years, for seven years, Egypt is going to have this just fruitful abundance of harvest and in their crops as well. But then, after those seven years, and the seven years to follow, Egypt is going to go through a time of famine. So in the first seven years, right now, you need to start harvesting and uh, getting your crops and stockpiling. And so Pharaoh takes him on, and and surely enough, Egypt has seven years of just amazing harvest, of fruitful uh, crops and, and all the rest, this great time of just sitting on wealth. But then in the two years after that, they begin to experience, or in the time after that, they begin to experience this famine. And it's in the two years after that that Joseph actually gets pulled on board as being a second hand to the Pharaoh. In fact, he takes on the title of being the second highest official in Egypt. So all of a sudden, again... We see uh, this story of Joseph where he's been pushed away, neglected, almost sent into exile, sold away into slavery by his family to finally get to a spot where he knows that he might become someone to being chucked down into the pits, rock bottom in prison, to finally being back in a place where he has an idea of the person and this great leader that he was meant to be. And so he is faithful and he is obedient. And the Pharaoh sees that and gives him this awesome role of being his second hand, this high official in egypt but now let's cut scene let's cut scene back to the brothers the brothers at home in canaan because now they're two years into experience this famine this drought they're malnourished so jacob the father sends the brothers to egypt he says we're going to leave your youngest brothers your youngest brother benjamin here because it's too much of a risk him traveling but the rest of you, the rest of you ten go out to egypt and buy goods to bring back to the family because our land uh, is being stripped back it's barren so the brothers go out, but surely enough, this is our tension point, right? Because this is where the brothers are finally come face to face with their once 17-year-old brother that they once sent away, that they sold away, who's standing in front of them as this great official of Egypt. And you could only imagine the look on Joseph's face when he recognized the band of brothers in front of him. But what we need to know is that the brothers didn't recognize Joseph. You see, Joseph wouldn't have been talking in their native tongue. He would have had a translator, even though he knew what they were saying. But the brothers would have had no idea of who they were talking to. And here in front of him, are his brothers, or here in front of them, for the brothers, is the youngest brother, Joseph, who they once wanted dead. And Joseph is here just sitting on stockpiles of wealth, seated close to the throne of Egypt. So, what does he do? What does he do? They think they're talking to the Pharaoh's highest servant, not their brother. And Joseph can reveal himself in this moment. We know that Joseph can reveal himself as their younger brother. Or, or he can pretend, he can pretend that he is this almighty high official of Egypt. And remember, Joseph is hurt. These were his brothers who chose to disconnect him from the family, from his mother and father, and all of a sudden we see Joseph shift from his faithful real sense, uh, his faithful real self to this mask pretend version of himself as this high official. He doesn't take the role of the brother, but he takes the role of being this high official of Egypt. And he actually questions the brothers. And in his questioning, eventually he accuses the brothers of being spies to the land coming to Egypt to steal their resources. And the brothers tell Joseph, no, this is not the case, that they have an older father and a younger brother back at home who is waiting for them to bring back goods. And this would have triggered Joseph because he hasn't seen his father in so long. He hasn't seen his younger brother, Benjamin, who's actually his only full-blood brother connection. He hasn't seen them in so long. So Joseph figures that he can manipulate his brothers to bring Benjamin to him just so he can see him. So he ends up taking one of the brother's prisoners and tells the rest that he will not be released until they bring Benjamin to him. And the brothers get so distressed and they start thinking to themselves, no, we we can't do that. Our, Our father said, like, that was the one brother that we can't bring here. Like, how are we meant to do this? We're just here to buy goods. Like, surely there can be another way. But they end up turning to each other and talking in their native tongue, thinking that Joseph can't understand them. They turn to each other and and they say, this is all happening because of what we did to Joseph. This is all punishment because of what we did to Joseph. Why we're experiencing this circumstance right now is because of what we did to our younger brother, who our father loved so much. We never should have wronged him. And in this moment, Joseph has this moment where he hears what the brothers are saying and they think they can't hear him. Uh, they think that they can't, that Joseph can't understand him at all. But he hears what the brothers are saying, and he just turns away. And what we see in the story of Joseph, in this moment that he turns away, is that he turns, he, begun, he begins to weep. He begins to weep, and he begins to cry. He doesn't show his face to them. He doesn't show his real self to them, but he begins to cry. It just begins to leak out of him. He broke, he couldn't keep up the facade, and he turns away, and his real self leaks out. But then, then he regains his composure. composure. I don't know if you've ever needed that before. Just a moment to yourself, a quick cry, or a quick just time just to think. He regains his composure, and then he speaks to the man again. But he returns to his pretend self as this high official. He ends up taking one of the brothers, Simeon, as ransom, and he sends the brothers out to go back to their land to collect their younger brother to bring him back. But in this time, the food that the brothers have bought, the grain that they've bought, Joseph has actually refilled their bags with the silver that they used to pay Joseph. So the brothers have gone back home. They've opened up their grain and they've realized that the silver in their bag is in there, has been returned to them for some reason. And they think they've been set up to make it look like they've stolen, to make it out like they really are spies of the land. And they get so stressed out that when they return back to Joseph, they come to him with gifts and they bring Benjamin with him and they become all apologetic. They say, they don't know how it happened. Surely we're not spies. We're trying to convince you. We even brought our younger brother along this time. Like, we just want you to know that we're not actually criminals of this land. And Joseph is just toying with his brothers. He's found a way to make them feel guilty. And I'm sure you know what it's like to feel guilty at times. I don't know if you've ever known what it feels like to actually make somebody else feel guilty in this moment. Joseph is using it as a one-up on his brothers. So when they return with Benjamin, they come with all these gifts. They apologize for what's happened with the silver. They say they don't understand how it happens. And Joseph kind of waves the whole thing off. He waves the whole thing off, but then he sees his younger brother, Benjamin. He sees his younger brother, Benjamin, the son of his own mother. And he couldn't hide himself again. He couldn't control what he was feeling on the inside. In fact, he even asks his brother about his father and how he's doing, whether or not he's alive. He asks, do you have a father? How is he? He's of old age they tell him that he is well he's alive and they bow low to him again and in this moment of hearing about the news of his family of his brother and his father joseph hurries from the room he hurries from the room because he was overcome with emotion about hearing about home he went into his private room where he broke down and he wept his heart is yearning just to meet his little brother and he's had the opportunity to do so, but he just refuses to let himself be seen to him. He refuses to show his real self. How much longer can I keep this up? And apparently the answer for Joseph is a little longer because after washing his face, he came back out and keeping himself under control, he ordered to his servants to bring out a food, that we're going to do a feast, we're going to do a banquet. But in this time that they have a feast and, and afterwards more so, sorry, Joseph feels The brothers bags with grain again. Pretty generous act. But then he does the same thing. He does the same thing. He puts the silver back in that they use to pay for the grain. But then in one of the bags, he actually puts his silver cup, Joseph's silver cup, which would have been a big deal within his household, and he sneaks it into the bag of Benjamin. So when the brothers take away from the land of Egypt, when they walk away from the land of Egypt, one of Joseph's guards, one of his servants, would go out and collect them, bring them back to say that they have stolen from him. Joseph says to them, "'One of you has my silver cup. "'Who is it? "'Who has it will stay here as my slave.'" And the boys, one by one, empty their bags. And as they empty the bag, they get to the last person, Benjamin. Benjamin empties his bag and the silver cup rolls out and Joseph explodes. He says, "'How dare you? "'How could you steal from me and my kingdom? "'How could you do this?' And the boys become so apologetic, but they also know the risk and the consequence that Benjamin was now going to be Joseph's slave forever.'" And the brothers couldn't have this. They knew how much their father loved him, but now they are showing explicitly in front of Joseph how much they love Benjamin. One of them even says, don't take Benjamin, take me. They say to him, you can't take Benjamin. You can't take our brother, for if you do, our father's heart will break. It's just not something you can do. He's already lost one son. Please don't take him again. And the brothers are just in uproar. They're so beside themselves, they're distraught. And this is when Joseph couldn't take it any longer. He couldn't control himself anymore. And he asked all his servants to leave. He couldn't stand it any longer. There were many people in the room. And he said to his attendants, out all of you. So Joseph was alone. He was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. And then in that moment, Joseph broke down and he wept so loudly, wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him. And word of his weeping quickly carried to the Pharaoh's palace. Joseph was beside himself as he revealed himself to his brothers and asked them to come close to him to see. And finally, finally we see Joseph take off his mask and step out of this pretend version of himself, this manipulative, corrupt kind of leader that he had been back to his faithful, obedient, real self. And he says to his brothers, I am Joseph. And you could imagine the brothers, though confused and terrified, With Joseph's forgiveness, the brothers embrace him and they weep together. Joseph couldn't pretend any longer. And so it is so fitting and so ironic that although in our day we often take tears as a sign of weakness, that in the first book of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, which really is this story that is all about relationship before it is about rules— That tears and vulnerability characterised this young 17-year-old shepherd's journey who climbed his way to the highest position of leadership and influence in the world at the time. And in his wrestle in trying to find his true real self amidst everything he was pretending to be, Joseph found the capacity for intimacy. He found the capacity for belonging a sense of peace that his power and control over an empire were never given. So what can we take from this story? So what's the cost of pretending? Well, the cost of pretending is you not growing into the person you were created to be. Take the person of Joseph who became reactive in his emotions, became explosive in his frustrations and his hurt and in his scars of what his family has done to him in the past. And I don't know if you carry any of those wounds yourself. But Joseph had this voice in his head telling him, stay hidden and stay in control. Stay hidden and try and stay in control. And every single one of us has an opinion about ourselves or a story that we tell about ourselves. But sometimes the story we tell ourselves has more to do with who we think others see us as rather than who we were created to be. And I'm sure in your life, you know, those times where things just feel completely out of control. And in fact, in those moments where things feel out of control the most is the times when we feel most anxious. We feel most worried. We feel most rush just trying to have our hands over every aspect of our life what's happening today and what could happen in the future and you know what it's like to to feel like you're sinking in your relationships and your friendships and your family life too when we tell ourselves i'm not selfish i'm not doing good enough job we say why did i do that i'm such an idiot there's so much better than me i've annoyed that person they'll never like me or if there's anything negative happening in my life that's my fault and if we're not pointing it all back at ourself, well then we are dishing the heat out to the people closest to us, the people we love most. When we act out as the pretend version of ourselves, the people that so often get burnt are the people closest to us, the people we love most. And it's tricky in this spot when we're wrestling with this tension of trying not to be the pretend us. It's tricky to tell ourselves that we don't have to be the person to fix ourselves, and we feel like we aren't becoming the person we want to be, We can get stuck in this spot or more so this cycle of just trying to figure out, yes, what am I doing? Why can't I see my own blind spots here? Why don't I feel like myself? How much longer can I keep this up? But we tell ourselves that we're the only person that can actually do a DIY job on ourselves. You can get frustrated. Why can't I be the me I want to be? Why can't you be the you that you know you want to be? And the thing is, the cost of pretending is far too great on us, the people around us, and the life we've been called to live. And that's why this week, in closing this morning, if you haven't jumped out uh, to beyond before, and you might see it on our socials sometimes too, we love to do this thing of a Sunday called a For Monday. And This is kind of like our application uh, packaged into the message today. Uh, It's a question that we like leaving you with, or just a next step to leave you with. Because we believe, what's the point in coming to church on Sunday if it's not going to change you, if it's not going to impact you for Monday? So today's form Monday is this, to step into this week and just ask this question before you try and figure out every other thing that you need to do this year or the person you're becoming or the person you desire to be, to ask yourself this question first of who is the me? Who is the me that I'm pretending to be? Who is the me that I'm pretending to be? Because we can't take the steps to becoming the person we've been created to be without first identifying the things that we struggle against within ourselves. And the reality check that we need to know is the cost of pretending is far too great is far too great because who you are and who you've been created to be is someone who is invaluable. That the reality is that there is no one else in the world like you, that there was a one in three trillion chance of you being born into this world that makes you a living miracle. But it also makes you invaluable. It makes you invaluable to the people around you. And I'm sure in your life, you know people who are invaluable to you. You see, your story may be messy and it may carry hurt. Just look at Joseph's. your story is unique. Your past mistakes, regrets, scars may leave you feeling wounded and weak. Your present circumstance may be really tricky right now, even one that maybe you want to move on for, which is why this new year is so fitting. But your past, your present, and how you measure yourself to the people around you are not accurate ways to measure the person you are or control the future that you can step into. Deceiving yourself and deceiving others don't allow you to step into the person you've been created to be. And wrapping up this morning, just as I'd love to invite the band back up, as well. See, in the story of Joseph. Joseph was given this amazing gift by the creator of the universe and he used it faithfully. And though he didn't allow himself to be fully seen by his brothers, he was fully seen by the creator of the universe. And even in all of the mess of Joe's story and in all of his flaws, God still used Joseph to save a nation from famine and bring his family together. That even in Joseph's inability to figure out who he truly was, God brought healing and revealed joseph's true self and in this invitation of grace that believers and followers of jesus should hold on to but also grace that is extended to all it comes with this invitation to come out of hiding with courage to let go of perfectionism and shame and no forgiveness and be vulnerable enough to live in the reality of the truth about ourselves and who we were created to be and the great thing is is that this invitation isn't exclusive This true, real, genuine, authentic self that you can step into, that you can live a life out as means that you can be authentic with no pretense. You can be caring and loving for others and open and not defensive, that you can be accepting of who you are and feel closer to the people around you instead of scared of them seeing who you are. The me, the me you were created to be far exceeds the one that you pretend to be. We have this awesome opportunity to learn more about ourselves more about others, and more about the creator of the universe who's on your side, we have this amazing invitation to stepping into life that was designed for us, this brand new starting point for all that offers a brand new beginning. And if you need a brand new beginning this year, we'd love to have you back for part two next week as we jump into the rest of this series. But we do, we want to welcome you to the year and welcome you to a new year where it can be a new you as well. Let's pray together, and I'll flick you over to the band. God, we do. We thank you for the people in our life, Lord, that we know we can be real with and the ones that we can be honest with as well. God, we know it's one thing to be transparent with people and let people see into us, but God, we know it's another to be vulnerable and actually have shared experience with people where we can show them the real version of us. God, we thank you that in our life, we don't have to live under the anxiousness, the worry, or even the scars of our past that so often control our life and and Lord, we just thank you that we don't have to live out a life of being the pretend version of ourselves. That this year, stepping into 2020, we have an opportunity of recognizing the pretend version of ourselves that we are when we deceive other people or even lie to ourselves to make our life out greater than it is or not sharing with others enough and feeling uh, just so worried on the inside. God, we thank you that we can give it over to you. But we thank you we can recognize that you've actually created us as invaluable. You've created us as invaluable to the people around us that a life lived with you is actually life stepping into the person that we are intended to be. So God, we pass the burdens and the worries to you, but we give you thanks. We pray these things in your name. Amen.